Good morning. Hope you've been encouraged by those beautiful songs. I know I have. I just want to, um, as you turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 33, I just want to express how, how thankful I am for the opportunity to preach God's Word to Pastor Kurt and Pastor Steve, and just how much I, I love my church. And it's an honor, really, to bring the Word of God to you. So Exodus chapter 33, and I'll read the text. Then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. We'll start in verse 1. We'll go all the way through verse 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will descend my angel before you. And will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivatite, and the Jebusite. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I, would come, I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also find grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please 
Show me your glory. Father, we come before you now. We ask that you would open our eyes as the psalmist prayed, that we might see marvelous things in your word, only by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It was a conversation of a little girl and her mother, and the little girl said, why did Papa have appendicitis and have to pay the doctor $1,000? And Mother said, it was God's will, dear. Confused, the little girl replies and says, and was it because God was mad at Papa or pleased with the doctor? Clever little girl. You can only imagine the mother's response to be, the Lord knows, only he knows, right? I think we've all found ourselves in situations where we ask, why did this happen to me? Why is this going on right now? What is going on? That is the very question that Moses is asking in verse 12. He's saying, Lord, you're telling me to go bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. But you say, I know you by name and that I have found grace in your sight. What is what is going on? You with me? Do I have real? Have I really found grace in your sight? I asked the same question in preparing. Reading Exodus and pretty much all of Numbers and Deuteronomy, there are times where I I ask the same question, Lord, what is going on? Why are you acting this way? Why are you responding the way that you are responding? You're saying you're going to destroy them. Then Moses said, God, God, calm down. And then God does it. He relents, the scripture says. If we're not careful, then we can see God as, an over-emotional God. We're not careful. We see him. We, we will um, compromise immutability and that God is, in, is, is an unchanging God. We're not careful. We'll see God as an untamed horse. And Moses is trying to pull the reins and trying to control God and trying to calm him down. We reject that. Amen? Malachi 3.6 I am the Lord, I do not what? Change. Do not change. So what is going on? I found myself asking myself, why are you acting like this, Lord? And I think that God is faithful, and I think it's amazing that we sing the songs, that the, the songs that we, we sung today, they talk about this issue. I think the answer is found in some of the lyrics from all creatures of our God and King, the second verse says, Let all things their Creator bless, and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. In our, when trials come, we sang, third verse says, I turn to wisdom, not my own, for every battle you have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures, your ways are good. What do these Two lyrics have in common. And what is the answer to this question? Why is this happening? What is the answer to Moses' question and our question today? And I think it's found in the doctrine of providence. Doctrine of providence. You might ask, what is that? <laughs> well, let's, let's give a really brief definition of it. I got some quotes. I got some scriptures. 
And I think this will help us set a base for our text. Very quickly, the doctrine of providence. We find the word provide there, right? Which is two words in essence in Latin is pro vide, provide, right? Pro meaning to or toward, right? And vide, like video, is see. So pro to vide see is uh, the idiom when you say I'll see to it, right? What does that mean? I'll take care of it. I will provide for it. The doctrine of providence is that God will take care of things. He will get it done. It's a very simple definition. So when Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He is saying that he will provide. He will take care. He will provide the sacrifice, son. And what happened? Did God send the ram from heaven? No, it was a ram providentially. God provided a ram that was caught in the bush by its thorns. I have some statements from, just two statements, from the Belgian Confession on the doctrine of God's providence in Article 13. It says, we believe that God is good after creating all things, and he did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads them and governs them according to his holy will. In such a way that nothing happens in this world without God's orderly arrangement. Not only did God create, and not only is he sovereign over creation, but he leads and governs his creation to his holy will. He orders everything to accomplish a purpose. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the questions is, what do you understand by the providence of God? Answer, the almighty and the ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them, rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. In other words, He holds the world in his hands, as the song says. And he's leading the world, the universe, towards somewhere, right? God is not a fatalist. He doesn't leave things to fate. He has a purpose for the universe, for the world, and everything that happens. He is leading it. He will get it done. He will see to it that his purpose will get done. The word providence is not really found in the Bible. I think the NES uses it in in a few verses. But what does the Bible say about this? Really quick, turn to Ephesians 1.11. I'll be going a little fast, so bear with me. Ephesians 1.11. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works, what? All things according to the counsel of his will. Paul could have just said, according to his purpose, right? But he adds to that. Who works not just the things that in our life as Christians, but all things, all things. What does Romans 8, 28 say? For we know that God, what? Works all things together, together. What is that unity in all things? The purpose of God. In verse 12, it says that 
What is this purpose? What is this will? He works all things according to the counsel of his will that he who that that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Glory of God. That is the ultimate purpose. And I'll talk more about that. Look what. So God is is working all things together to complete his purpose. Look what Spurgeon said on Providence. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of water that dashes against the steamboat has an orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff of the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an insect over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of sere leaves from a poplar tree is a fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. He that believes in a God must believe this truth. From everything in this world, think of it. The most random thing, the fizzing of a soda pop, the hairs that fall from your head, natural disasters, all that happens in our world, even the actions of men. So that when Joseph reveals himself to his brother, he said, the Lord sent me here to preserve life. What are you talking about, Joseph? We sold you. We sold you to the Ishmaelites, and they, they brought you to Egypt. Yeah, I know. God sent me. Because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This last quote. There are many shadows that fall across the earth, the shadows of floating clouds, of the trees of swaying in the wind, of smoke ascending from chimneys, of birds on flight, and the shadow of great rocks on mountainsides. But the deepest and longest and kindest shadow which falls over the earth is the shadow of divine providence. God is over everything, and he's guiding everything to a purpose. This should alone should allow us to wonder at God and how he does that. Intentions of men, free actions of men, he leads them all to one purpose, to his glory and for the good of his people. This might arise questions, right? What about human will? What about predestination? I get that, right? But trust me on this. The doctrine of providence, we must see it. Especially when we're reading Exodus 33, we must see it. Now turn there. Here we have Moses interceding on behalf of Israel. And so, now assuming providence, assuming that God is controlling all things for his purpose, then we can see everything that happens in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, literally everything in the Bible, God is taking it all to this moment, Exodus 33. He's leading his people. He's, in a sense, threatening his people, threatening to destroy them, threatening him to not be with him, that Moses might rise and intercede for his people. And in this intercession, in verses 12 through 18, I find three purposes of divine providence through the intercession of Moses. Three things that God is trying to accomplish in, through the intercession of Moses. Number one, that Moses would be sanctified. That Israel would be identified. And number three, that God would be glorified. So in this intercession, in our text today, we see the sanctification of Moses 
the identification of Israel and the glorification of God. This is what divine providence is going to accomplish. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm headed. So number one, that Moses would be sanctified. Verse 12 starts with Moses being perplexed. He's worried. He's, he's suffering on the inside. Lord, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, Moses, and you have found grace in my sight. I hope you can see the, the um, this almost, it's almost like a contradiction. You're mad at me, Lord. You, you don't, you don't want to go with us. But you say that I have found grace in your sight. What is going on? Have you felt like that? Things that happen in our life that we know God loves us. We know we are in right relationship with him. But yet everything around us seems, it even seems like the hand of God is against us sometimes. Amen? And we're perplexed. We're confused. We don't know what, 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 what is going on. Perhaps is the unbelieving spouse you've been battling with, you know, over all these years. You're just like, Lord, why, what is, why won't you save them? Perhaps it's a child you've lost, miscarriage or, or something worse than that. Perhaps it's a disease or a sickness. And you're, Lord, why won't you take this away? I'm in pain. I'm in agony here. But if we really believe in providence, then we must say, he knows I, I, I trust his ways as we just sung. And this, per, this perplexity of Moses leads him to do what? To pray. Verse 13, now therefore I pray. I pray. He doesn't begin complaining. He's not, he doesn't grow bitter against God. Here's anybody tell you that? Oh, I'm mad at God right now because he won't do this. It's like, what are you doing? Or something worse, he, he doesn't apostatize. Is that parable, right, of, of the, the uh, Pastor Kurt mentioned it last week, of the seeds that choke the, the, um, the, the spout, right? And they walk away. Believers that you thought were Christians, but then the, 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 um, the weeds, right, the, the concerns of life and the trial causes them to wither. But Moses goes to the Lord in prayer. Remember the psalm, the psalmist in um, Psalm seventy-three. He's he's seen the prosper the prosperity of the wicked, and he's he's he, and it says in him that I almost my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envying the wicked. And he goes on to say, all, all this confusion, he doesn't understand how, why the godly have to suffer. But when, what does he say? I did not understand until I went into the sanctuary. And I saw, I understood their end. He goes to the sanctuary, to the house of God. I need to go to my Lord. Where do you go when you find yourself in a situation like that? What does he pray? Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Show me now your way. In Isaiah, 
When it talks about his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, he's saying, I want to understand those ways, Lord. I want to understand those thoughts. Why? So that I may know you. That I may know you. It's eternal life. John 17, 3. What is eternal life? Jesus said that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Jeremiah 9 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Moses is All of this that's happening in Israel is causing Moses to pray this prayer. Isn't that beautiful? God is not changing. He never changed. Moses is changing. Moses is being sanctified. One of the last conversations I had with my grandmother before she passed this last year, she was at my house, and I was like, look, Grandma, how are you doing? You know, just she was a faithful believer and everything. And she's just, oh, you know, sometimes I just can't bear the pain. She had arthritis, and she had really bad shoulder pain that day. And just sometimes it's just like, man, it's just unbearable. And she was kind of just telling me the nature of her, of her, um, her pain and her, her sickness. But then at the end, she's like, but you know what? I just pray that God doesn't let me complain anymore. And I looked at her and I said, you know what, Grandma? If you didn't have that pain, you would have never prayed that prayer. <laughs> And we kind of looked at each other like, that's what God does. He allows things in our life to lead us to a moment to pray, prayers of desperation. See, God is willing to hurt you, wound you, in a sense, for a closer walk with him. Is God really that great? Does he really think that a closer walk is worth going through pain? I'll talk about that a little later. Even in my sermon prep this week, I was struggling. I usually don't have a problem writing down my thoughts. But literally, I promise you, for like four hours, I was staring at a blank sheet of paper. And I was like, what is going on? I was hitting a wall. And I'm just, it, it, it motivated me to go to the Lord and pray, Lord, please show me your text. Why are you allowing this? Why can't I see? And it allowed me just to, Literally, Almighty, just pray to him, and God came through. And I, I sang a little louder than usually, than usual, right? Because I went through that. And that's what happens when the Lord takes you through those times. You come out just bold, where you can say, now show me your glory, Lord. Show me more of your glory. Change me more. Show me more of who you are. What do you pray? You ask God, Lord, just take this away from me. Or do you say, Lord, show me more of who you are through this. Change me, mold me. You see now that prayer doesn't change God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Prayer changes us. He changes us. So number one, that Moses would be sanctified. Number two, that Israel would be identified. 
Specifically, identified as a special people unto the Lord. A separate people. See, God always wanted a people. You can turn a few pages back to Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called, called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, mine, and you shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God always wanted a special people. Verse 20, he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. And he tells them, don't worship anybody else. You are my people. I am a jealous God, thus saith the Lord. He repeats it in um, chapter 20, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be, to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. So Moses here, in, um, in, stay in 20, but in Moses in, in, um, in chapter 33, is has now become, instead of praying as an individual, he is now a mediator. That he will pray on behalf of the people of Israel. We stay in 20 and read verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Moses, be, be the middleman. Moses takes up this office of mediator between God and Israel. This is reiterated in Psalm, on the 106th Psalm. 106 Psalm chapter 20 and um, verse 18. Actually, in verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb, right? Or Mount Sinai, before Mount Sinai. They made the golden calf and worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their, their God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. What does it say? Had not Moses, his chosen, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. What a clear, couldn't be a clearer type of Christ. Amen. Reminds us that we ourselves are also stiff-necked people. We have gone away to follow the desires of our own heart and fallen into much sin, idolatry. We've lied, we've cheated. We are adulterers at heart. We do not glorify God as as we ought. We do not thank Him as we ought. We deserve the wrath of God 
But unless God provides a mediator, then we can have eternal life. Remember in Job 9, his friends are telling him, Job, make your request known to God. Show him how righteous you are. What does Job say in Job 9? How can man be righteous before God? See, see, God is not a man like me that I'm able to take him to trial and to court. And what does he say? There is no mediator between us that can lay his hand on God's shoulder and one on mine to reconcile. There's no mediator. Oh, Christian. Yes, there is. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He represents us before the Father, and He takes us to Him and represents us, uh, represents us as our priest and king. Hebrews 7.25 is, describes His work of intercession, as Pastor Kurt has taken us through that. By Christ, His life, His work, His death, His resurrection, His mediation and intercession, we earn the right to be called children of God. Not only that, but we are in an unconditional covenant where God promises to take us all the way to the end. We persevere. So when we turn back to Exodus 33, let us see the nature of the prayer for Israel. In verse 14, he, God responds to him, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He affirms and assures Moses. And in verse 15, Moses says to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate upon, uh, we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. God, Moses understands the value of the presence of God. That it is because God, Israel has the presence of God that they are, they are different from every other people in the world. Isn't that what distinguishes us? The Spirit of God that makes us a children of God or a children of Satan. And Moses understands this. If your presence does not, who cares about the promised land? You're my promised land. Reminds me of Psalm 51. Lord, take not your spirit away from me. Do whatever you want. Take not your spirit. Don't take your presence away from me. Been praying, right? We have a lot of prayers here. We, we, we regularly pray for Sister Sandra, her migraines. Sister Sandra, what if right now your migraines can disappear? Forever. The rest of your life. No more migraines. Doesn't that sound amazing? What if no migraines, but no Steve? Would he do it? Don't answer that. (laughs) Would he do it? Some of you children, the youth, what if you could have your house to yourself and a bank filled with an infinity amount of money? Whatever you want, eat whatever you want. No rules, no nothing. But no parents. Forever. Would he do it? What about Kurt, Pastor Steve? You can have this place filled, every chair filled 
No spirit of God. Didn't do it. Well, Christian, what about heaven and all the blessings? No more tears, no more sadness. But without Christ, is it worth it? What is a promised land without the presence of God? Moses understands this. He, 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 I, I got to have your presence, Lord. There's, there's, everything is expendable in my life except that you be with me. You be with us and that we be a special people unto you. Remember our text in 2 Corinthians 4, right, where, where uh, it, it says that um, the glory of Christ, right, as, as light shine from the darkness, right, so the light of Christ has shown in our hearts to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then what does he say? We didn't read it, but it says, and therefore we have this treasure in earthly vessels. That man that finds that treasure in the field, he's so excited about it that he sells everything he has to go buy that field. You treasure the presence of God? Is God your treasure? And in verse 17, see see the process of Moses? What what he's asking for is, is this process that God is taking him. God is allowing all this to happen so that Moses would intercede and accomplish this through his intercession. Verse 17 says, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. God is not changing. You read a, a scared, a, 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 a Moses going through an identity crisis in chapter 2 and 3. He doesn't want to go serve the Lord. Lord, send someone else. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm a, a slow of speech. Send someone else. But God promised him, my presence will be with you. And now he's like, Lord, you said my pre- my, your presence will be with me. Be with me. So Moses, through his intercession, Israel is identified as God's people. And it's through Christ. That we, me and you, brother and sister, that have faith in Christ, are identified as his church, as his elect, as his children. Chapter 34 and verse 9 says, Then Moses said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. God is faithful when he does it. Now Moses would be sanctified, Israel would be identified, and number three, that God will be glorified. Verse 18, and Moses said, please show me your glory. Moses, overwhelmed by the response of God, overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God, and we understand this, he says, show me now your glory. I just want you, I want more of you. See, God loves showing his glory off. And I will show you now that that is the purpose of everything in this world, that the end is the glory of God. And everywhere you look in the Bible, where God gives a reason why he does a certain thing, without exception, he always says, for my glory, or for my name. 
We are predestined for His glory, Ephesians 1.6. We are created for His glory, Isaiah 43.7. We are elected for His glory, Jeremiah 13.11. Israel is saved from Egypt for the glory of God in Psalm 106.8. Israel is rescued from the exile for God's glory in Isaiah 48.9-11. God sends Christ into the world so that the Gentiles would praise for the Praise God for the glory of His mercy, Romans 15.9. He commands us, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for what? The glory of God in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He will send Jesus a second time that His church will marvel at His glory in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. What does God value? What does God esteem most in this world? God and His great glory. Do you view God as a glorious God? You might say, it it just sounds narcissistic of him. What if I told you that God is less like a a children playing with dolls and setting himself up up as the hero, and he's more like a, a billionaire king moving to the slums of India to live with them and to share all what he has with them? God really thinks he is that great. The most loving thing he can do to us is show us of himself. Really quickly, turn to Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Remember I said that all that is going on with Israel and the threats of Israel, God is um, providentially leading them. And right now he gives us the purpose here in chapter 20 of Ezekiel. Start in verse 7. Actually, verse 6. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before Uh, before his eyes and do not defile yourselves with the idols of, of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not cast, they did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Sound familiar? Verse 9 says, But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles, among them, among whom they were in those sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He says the same thing in verse 13. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. Verse 14. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles. It says lastly in verse 21. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profane my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them 
and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake. That it should not be profaned in the sight of Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. The relenting of God, the, the, the withholding of God, holding his, his wrath from Israel is for his glory. But it's also that Israel might see that and see, wow, God is a merciful God. We are truly a stiff-necked people. That they would worship him as a God of grace, as a God of mercy. See how it all works? For the good those who love him, and for the glory of God. All things work together for that end. And lastly, just to finish up this point, in Exodus 33, Moses asks, show me your glory. And guess what? God actually shows him. God actually shows him. Guess what? He actually shows us who he is, his greatness. Verse 19, God said, then he, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will have compassion and whom I will have compassion. Of course I will, Moses. I love showing off my glory that you might see who you're dealing with. Remember that Psalm in 27, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I may what? Gaze upon his beauty. You have to see it. You have to see that. That's why 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You don't believe today? You, you don't see the glory of Christ. You're blind. Scripture says you are, you're dead too, and that you hate the light. They, they might, they're blinded to, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does it say? So that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That in the gospel message, there is glory of Christ in there. That when eyes are open, they believe, they see Christ not as a man simply carrying sheep and a good moral teacher, but as the God who he is, the glorious king that he truly is. That when me and you, were, our eyes were open to him, we follow him irresistibly. We let go of everything. And your friends are like, why are you still this Jesus? You don't get it, brother. You don't have eyes to see. You're blind. Why are you reading your Bible all the time? Why, why are you going to church? You're so dedicated and you're so, you want to be particular about everything. He's glorious. You don't, you, don't, you don't get it. Maybe you're here and you're like, I want to see him. I, I just can't. Call out to God today. Lord, forgive me. Repent of your sin. Give me eyes to see that I may see you as glorious, as worthy of my, of my life, of my devotion. And God will be faithful to do that. So Moses worships him. Chapter 34, God reveals him. He hides him behind that cleft of the rock. God passes, right? 
I would read it, but I'm running out of time, right? And he got, Moses sees the back of God, right? And, he, and God appears to him by declaring his name, right? I, I am, uh, he says, uh, the Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth. Generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Is that not what our response should be, brother? Providence, intercession, glory, all these things. It's not only in Exodus 33, but it's in your life. God has, through his providence, allowed many things in your life to get you here now. Now, here, we see it in the the history of redemption. God allowing all this from Genesis 1. All everything that's happened, natural disasters, the sin of man. He has allowed all things to lead to the intercession and mediation work of Christ. Why? That we might see his glory forever. That we might behold how beautiful he is and worship him. William Cowper wrote um, that famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Listen to verse um, 3, 4, and 5. It says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work is vain. Scanning his work is vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Many times in the scripture, we're like, Lord, what are you doing? But we know where he's leading. We see it. So what is our response? Brothers, all I can ask you is gaze upon his beauty today. Wonder, have some awe towards God. And borrowing from the words of Romans 11, I close from the Apostle Paul. Romans 11, after literally doing a full exposition of 11 chapters on the gospel, Paul is dumbfounded and he is overwhelmed. And in verse 33 says, Oh, the depth, the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him, And through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. The church said, Amen. Lord, allow us to see your worth, Lord. In the context of everything that you are allowing in our lives. Help us, Lord. When we feel perplexed, confused, that we may be like Moses.
come before your throne boldly, pleading with you that you would show us your way, that we might know you more and walk with you a little closer. We thank you for Christ. It is by him that we are called children of God. We're identified as your people, your priests, your holy nation. Finally, Lord, show us, give us eyes. And if there's somebody here that does not have those eyes to see your worth, your glory, please have mercy on them, Lord. Please save God. Those that do have these beautiful eyes that you have given, let us cherish you as a glorious King, King Jesus, who is our life. We thank you so much in Christ's name.